So this is our Q&A part of this, this session. Uh, and my name's Ryan, and I'm a, a, a member here at St. John's Park Baptist Church. Hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> we haven't actually officially met. Every time I go to shake his hand, I have to try to battle my way through about 10 people who are surrounding him. So it's nice to meet uh, Brother Paul. Um, so thank you so much for being here, and thank you for uh, being willing to do this. There was lots of questions, as there always is with the Q&A, and uh, we will try to get through as many as possible, but we also realize that time is uh, escaping us, so uh, please forgive us if we don't get to your question. Um, it's nothing personal, um, and, uh, but we'll, we'll do our best to, to get through as many as we possibly can. Uh, and then after this, we'll close with just a few announcements, and then, and then we'll be finished. We ready? Okay, we'll start off with an easy one. Well, it might be easy. I think it might be easy. Um, first of all, what are your thoughts on homeschooling? <laughs> and if you could expand a little bit more on uh, essential oils and gluten-free diets as well. Now, um, of course, my, my wife and I, we homeschool, and we, um, we think it's a necessity um, for a few reasons. One, the spiritual upbringing of our children, the protecting of our children from what's now being taught in schools. And another thing that is very, very important is that, and this has infiltrated the church, we have this idea that young people ought to be with young people. It's what's taught in school, it's what's taught in you know, youth groups and everything else. And that's really not what the Bible teaches. That is a very secular idea. Um, you, you see, a companion of fools will remain a fool. And the idea is not to put young people with young people, but to put young people with the people who are now despised, and that is older people. See, my, my, we're told that you know, children ought to act a certain way. Well, why? Or, Teenagers are supposed to rebel. Well, who said that? All these things, much of it is built upon in the idea of evolution within a species. And it's just not true. We believe that, that young girls ought to have friends that are young girls, but their greater, greatest influence in their life ought to be their mother. And they ought to grow up and become mature. We believe that young men... They can have friends, of course, but the greatest influence in their life ought to be their father. They ought to seek to imitate their father. They ought to work with their father. And um, it's also a kind of, it's a costly thing because it demands a lot of our time. A lot of our time. People will ask me why I do not preach more than I do. And one of the reasons is because I'm a father. And I um, have to travel to preach, and if I'm traveling all the time, I can't do the things of a father. I raise my daughters. Um, my daughter and my new daughter that's coming here, she may be born while I'm here actually preaching. Um, I know I should be a grandfather, but I'm a father again. Um, but the young boys need their father. And the young girls need their father probably more than the boys. And so it, it's costly. Spend a lot of time, which I greatly enjoy. Homeschooling allows that. Also, eventually what happens if you raise your children to maturity, like my son Ian is 14, and if the 12-year-old is having trouble with his beginning of algebra or whatever, the 14-year-old can help him. The 12-year-old oftentimes tutors his 8-year-old his sister. And so... Also, they work with me. I live in a rural area. We, are, we heat our home. We have a lot of snow. We heat our home with just a wood stove. We're constantly cutting wood. We hunt for our meat, things like that. And so raising them to be men and not raising them to be, you know, 20-year-olds who play video games all day. Okay. Oh, and essential oils. <laughs> and... Uh, and health food and all that stuff. It's very, it's, I think some of it is very good. I think that we ought to take care of um, how we eat, and I think there's a lot of natural things out there that can be very helpful. The problem is, is whenever homeschooling or eating or essential oils or something kind of become mixed up with a 
brand of spirituality or it makes you more spiritual. And that, that's wrong. We, constantly, we have people coming to our church that want to be members and our pastors will look at them and say, you know, you probably won't like it here. Well, why? Well, because although most of us in our church homeschool, we don't evangelize other people to homeschool. And if you wear a head covering, that's fine if that's what you want to do. But if you start evangelizing all the other women, then we're going to have to put a stop to it. And if you have these convictions, that's wonderful. But that's your own conscience and you're not going to put it on other people. Because in this church, we're about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you have to be very careful. Okay. Uh, so moving on, uh, I guess some questions about evangelism. Mm -hmm. uh, what would you say to someone who says that street evangelism is more of a deterrent in today's postmodern culture and that it's more about relational evangelism? And kind of one that kind of goes alongside that is how do you bring up and preach the gospel then today uh, to someone okay. in a, with a postmodern worldview? You really can't make a statement like that. I mean, look at some of the things God called His prophets to do. You can't put it in a box. You know, go stand in the street. Go preach. Do this. You know, some very strange things happened to the prophet Ezekiel. And uh, not to say they're to be imitated, but my whole point is you can't say that street preaching is bad today or it was good in Whitfield's time. Uh, it's always been a scandal. I will say this. There are people who are gifted at street preaching. And I really appreciate them. One of them is my friend Ray Comfort. He is just gifted at street preaching. Because he can sit there and tell you things, and you may get as mad as a hornet, but you still see the love that he has and the kindness and everything. I see some street preachers today who seem like the only thing they want to do is put up a camera, yell at people, and then when the people persecute them, they want to put it on YouTube and show everybody how martyred they are. Uh, some people should not street preach because they just do not have the gift. It is being able... See, all witnessing is relational. All preaching is relational. It is. Okay? It's just a different way. And if you, like Ray Comfort, he can have 40 people around him and be preaching on the street and be relational to all of them. I mean, it's just his gift. He can work around them. He can talk other men... They cannot. And so I would never say street preaching is for this time and not for another time or vice versa. I would just say, are you truly called to do it? Are you truly gifted to do it? Are you uh, also tr training yourself to do it? Becoming an expert in the Word, an expert in proclamation. And the biggest thing, do people see love? And, and do you really have good theology? I mean, if, if you know... If, I, I'm not going to sit there and, and preach in the streets. I, I, do, I have preached in the streets, but I'm not going to sit there and just rail against the sins of the people. They're lost. I'm not going to talk if some girl walks by with a short skirt. I'm not going to preach against her short skirt or a girl has a spike going through her nose or something like that. I, that, doesn't, that doesn't bother me. I'm not, what I'm going to be out there doing is saying, look, there's life. His name is Jesus. You need Him. And, and so I see a lot of angry preachers, really angry preachers, saying a lot of hurtful things. Um, there are time for everything under heaven. Now, in evangelism, um, and this comes from someone who has street preached and will again, um, I find it most effective is, um, is to enter into relationships with people and maybe I'm on a plane and I only have two hours. I can still enter into a relationship. And what do I mean? I can simply talk to that person. When I mean that, it doesn't mean I look at them and say, I'm going to tell you the gospel or you're a sinner or this. I just start talking to people. And I find out about them. I want to know about them. I want to know how they think. I want to know what they do. I want to know what they like. I want them to see that I'm just not trying to win a number, that I actually love a person that I'm talking to. And I have found out when I do that, I'm almost always granted the opportunity of sharing the Gospel. Um, Paris, France, 
is considered one of the most, diff you know, people have told me, you know, no one will, wants to hear the gospel, you know, and they'll shut you out and everything. It's not true. I was in Paris last year with my wife and um, I was preaching and I was just walking around the streets of downtown Paris. And what do you do? You go into a shop and you just, I saw this guy, he's the last of the manual music box makers in Paris. And I mean, when Pixar needs a music box, they call him. I walked in and I saw his face. He was in the back of his shop and I loved him. Yes, sometimes you will walk into a certain place and you'll see somebody and God just puts a love in your heart immediately for that person. And so I looked at every music box in his shop over and over because they were beautiful, but because I wanted him to come out I wanted him to come out from behind that counter. And he did after, I don't know, half an hour or more. And then I spent another probably half an hour asking him, how do you do this? And this is magnificent. And how do you make it sound this way? And, and how did you get started? And, and after a while, he's like, who are you? You know, why do you care? And then it, it's, it's a way to witness. I, I found that's the best way for me. Dawson Trotman, who was one of the head guys at Navigators, I don't know if he said something one time, and I've always kept it to heart. Um, I work my way around the rim of a person's life until I find a crack. Now, a lot of you young guys, let me explain something. You hear me here right now, you know, waxing prophetically and preaching kind of hard. Um, that's not all the time. You know, I'm a completely different person than what most people see on YouTube. Uh, I, I, right now, I've been going to an MMA gym <laughs> and hanging out. Why? Because they, they, there's a bunch of guys in there that have never, they're never going to go to church. And they've never, they'll never come to hear about Jesus. And I'm not going in there and saying, you know, you guys... Or this is demonic, you're beating each other senseless. Well, th that's not going to help them. i just there, and now I've had opportunities to share the gospel and things like that. You know, if a girl, this happened one time, you know, a girl sat down beside me, and I'm an old preacher, and I'm sitting on this stool at a burger bar place, and this girl sits down, and she had spikes everywhere. I've never seen anything like it, through her nose, her ears, everything. And, and I just kind of sat there, and I kind of, I was looking at her, and I wanted her to see that I was looking at her. I was kind of going like this, and she finally looked at me, and I said, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, did that hurt when you did that? And she goes, it hurt like blankety-blank. I said, well, it's, it's, it's amazing, you know? I mean, what am I going to say? It's amazing. <laughs> it's I, don't, I don't care that she's got earrings and spikes everywhere. I see my daughter. You see, here's the thing. You know, love. In the New Covenant, love isn't something. It's everything. And sometime in love, yeah, you have to preach hard. But love is just caring about people. You know, everybody wants to talk about themselves. The only problem is nobody wants to listen. If you will listen to people, talk about themselves, you'll earn the right I had a guy one time who told me, he said, you have sat here, he, I mean, he was a grumpy old man. He said, you have sat here for an hour and a half and listened to me talk about everything. Now, what do you want to tell me? <laughs> You've earned the right. You know, and, 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 and that's the thing, guys. You know, if you have called to be a street preacher, just make sure that people really see that you love, that you really love. You know, you weren't called just to to be rude to people. And, and I've also, when I'm on a campus, um, I, students walk by and I'll just do this. I'll hold out a track and I'll say, it would mean the world to me if you would take this. There's a guy, he just died. He was at the University of Tennessee. His name's Saul. And he's in heaven now. And he was a street preacher, evangelist, just on campus. He just walked around campus. He was so loving that when the administration decided he couldn't back, come back, 
the president of the Atheist Society went into administration raging and angry, saying, you can't do this to Saul. He's the lovingest guy in the world and he's not hurting anybody. And I think that love, guys, I'm not trying to sound soupy, but if I could go back in the 30 years of my ministry and change anything, it would have been greater demonstrations of love. Greater demonstrations of love. And another thing, I know I'm rambling on, but this is about evangelism. Here's something. Before I was a Christian, if I saw someone sitting on a park bench and I wanted to sit down there, I didn't feel uncomfortable. I'd sit down there, talk to them you know, about anything while I'm sitting at the park bench. After I became a Christian, if I saw somebody sitting on a park bench, I'd just freak out. Because I was like, i got to witness to them. i got to witness to them. So I walk over there. I'm sweating profusely. They think I'm like out of my mind or something. <laughs> Children of the corn or something. And, uh, and uh, I realized one day, I, I don't have to do that. That first of all, the first thing I should do is I should pray according to Colossians 4, 2 through 4. Pray that God will give you an open door. Now don't pray that because He will give you an open door. <laughs> and then... Then I realized I never have to kick down a door and I never have to be sneaky to get through a door. I've prayed for God to open up a door and I will sit down and just talk to people about what they want to talk about. Just get in a conversation. And, and, and if, if the door doesn't seem to open and it seems the right time, I'll say, look, look, I know we've talked for a while and I just want you to know that I'm a Christian and, and I would like to be able to share with you my faith for just a few minutes before I go. And I, most people say, okay. But I was on an airplane uh, several years ago and I said that to a man. And he got so mad at me. He said, I don't want to hear your God. I don't want to hear. Up until that point, we were having a great conversation. And uh, he said, I don't want to hear about your God. At that moment, you know what I did? I, I shut my mouth and I kept talking to him about what he wanted to talk about. I didn't badger him. I didn't want him to get off the plane and go to the airport bar with all his other buddies and say I was accosted by an evangelical. So I just was, continued to talk to him. And when we got up, when the plane landed and we got up, he got up before me and he went in the overhead to reach his bag. And there were like two or three people between us at that time. And he looked back at me and he said like this, he goes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now, I didn't get to witness to him, but I know God used that. I know God used that. So, kindness. Converse with people because you care about them. I handed a tract to a guy at a university when I'd first gotten saved, and it was a lesson I'll never forget. And he turned around, he took the tract, he looked at it, and he goes, do you really care about me? Are you just trying to win me? Will you become my friend? Will you help me? Do you see that? And honestly, I was just trying to win him. I didn't want to become his friend. So, yeah. Next question. Yeah, we are not going to get through all of these. Okay. Thank you. That was uh, uh, very, very encouraging. All right. Uh, kind of to on totally different uh, train of thought here, any advice about the charismatic movement such as Bethel Church, uh, Jesus Culture, are they to be considered brothers and sisters in Christ? I'm sure that there are some people within those movements that are genuine Christians and just really confused, and if they are, God will bring them out. I do not affirm in any way any of those groups. Just remember this, God has, there's so many things that we could talk about with regard to this and we don't have time, but God has a plan for Christianity and it's a plan that works itself out through biblical local churches, not through big movements and things like that, but biblical local churches. And when I mean biblical, the Bible is being taught in its historical grammatical context, membership is guarded. Church discipline is practiced. There are so many things that these movements don't have, but above all, it's just some really bad doctrine. Really bad doctrine. You're going to see 
more and more, you're going to see um, not so much universalism, but inclusivism that's going to sweep evangelicalism, it already is, which states that it doesn't matter if you have faith in Christ, just faith in something, and you're saved. You're going to see that grow. It's growing tremendously in evangelicalism. You're going to see the acceptance of homosexuality overwhelmingly accepted by the majority of evangelicals. You're going to see all sorts of things happen in what's called the evangelical community, and that's why I say the word means nothing. The word means absolutely nothing anymore. And so, no, I, I can't affirm those movements. Um, for, I guess, additional resources, if you're interested in more of that, the, um, John MacArthur did the Strange Fire Conference uh, last yeah. year or the year before. I think all the resources are up there. Also, Ministry of Justin, Justin Peters. Peters, yes. Uh, he was actually out in Australia last year doing a conference. Um, but if you're interested in kind of more about the... We just had all his CDs translated into Spanish okay. with subtitles. If you could get Justin Peters CDs and go over them. Uh, I mean, I, I teach, you know, I, it's my life to teach theology and, and do things. And when I went through th those CDs, I, I could not believe it. I, I didn't even have an idea of how horrible these faith teachers and prosperity teachers and the things that they do and the things that they teach is just... It's beyond horrible. And uh, he has it right there in his CDs. He had actual video footage of them and their teaching. And then he takes the Bible and explains where it's wrong. And uh, very dangerous. Yep. All right, this is kind of a bit more of a practical uh, question and obviously asking for some advice. So can you offer some advice? The churches in our area are all antinomian. We have attended our current church for 20 years and have therefore built relationships. Do we stay and try and make a difference? Or is it more important for us and our children's sake to fellowship in a theologically sound church, which would involve, of course, moving house, jobs, and away from aging parents? Um, some overarching principles um, to consider, I guess, um, for that. So let me share with you something that a dear friend of mine, Charles Leiter, said one time, and I think it's, it's so amazing. The way we use words... We have to be very careful. Do you know that there, if you know there's no legalist in heaven? If you're a legalist, you can't go to heaven. You're lost. And did you know that if you're antinomian, you're lost? And the whole point is that we use those terms very loosely. We say that guy's a legalist. What you're saying is he's trusting in the law rather than faith in Jesus Christ. You're not saying that he's just a little more strict than you are. You're saying he's actually heretical. Antinomian means against law or in place of law, no law. Uh, anamos is the word that's used in the Greek to define what Christ is saying. You're saying that the person is lost and bound for hell, that whole church. So be careful how you use the word legalist and antinomian. Um, the, first of all, I don't know the person who wrote it, so um, maybe they have legalistic tendencies and think the other group's antinomian or maybe they're more antinomian, vice versa, you see. So I don't know. But with regard to moving, um, if I can find a body of believers where the church and its leadership is genuinely seeking the Lord, they might not line up with me in everything, but if it's the place where I live and it's the only church and the closest place I can go to and they're not doing something that violates my conscience, I'm probably going to stay there. Even if it's may be different than me in some ways. And I'm going to try to work with them. But if my family cannot grow there, if my family's not being taught the Word, then I have done this. I've picked up and moved my entire family. And you, you, here's the thing that I want to share with you is that, again, God has a plan and it's, it's not a missionary society. It's a local church. And, and one of the great, the great needs around the world is, a, is biblical local churches with biblical leadership, biblical preaching, you know, biblical conversion, all the things. I would like to um, encourage you to go online. There's a ministry called Nine, Nine Marks Ministry. Mark Dever and the guys at Capitol Hill Baptist in Washington, D.C. And 
they really lay out for, for you what a biblical church is. And if you don't have a church that's even you know, moving in that direction, then if I had to, I would move my family. You need to be in a biblical church. All right, this one, you, you kind of touched on this in your last message, um, I guess in regards to Christians and sin and, and things like this, but maybe I guess a little bit more clarification. Uh, the question specifically says, if a professing Christian who bears fruit and a love for God constantly struggles with the same sin for months or even years, are they truly saved? And there's references here to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10, um, which is that list of, of sins in which will not be people who will not be included in the kingdom of God. And then Hebrews 10, 26, which says, if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Well, the Hebrews passage is, uh, you have to be very careful that you're not taking that out of context there. That sinning willfully, is the, this is people who had embraced the gospel, the gospel had been preached to them, and they were thinking about abandoning the gospel to go back to Judaism. And so there's a lot more going on there than just struggling with sin. We're talking about what he's basically saying is, look, if you reject the gospel, there no longer remains another sacrifice for sin. All right, so we want to be very careful there. Here's something that we need to, to understand is many people, they, they don't truly understand repentance. They, they get caught up. Either they have such a superficial view of repentance that they never have a troubled soul, or they have a severe view of repentance and their soul is troubled all the time. All of us, all of us, I'll just use my own life for example. The moment that I became a Christian, I don't know what happened, but I had a filthy mouth. The moment I became a Christian, it was gone. I mean, the, the cussing, the lewd, it was just gone. I didn't have to do anything. Drinking, it was just gone. There were several things that were just gone. But before I was a Christian, I was a tremendous liar. I had a friend of mine told me, he says, you know, you scare me. I know you're lying and I still believe you. <laughs> and you know what? After I became a Christian, that was a great struggle. It was. Liars will not inherit the kingdom. And before I became a Christian, I was a liar. And after I became a Christian, though, I would, if I told just the smallest exaggeration... It was like a knife went through my heart and I would have to go to the, whoever I told that and ask them to forgive. It was so humiliating. And I struggled with it for a few years. And, and, and here's what I want you to see is that you have to ask yourself this. Am I loving the righteousness I once hated? Am I hating the sin I once loved? Um... There can be besetting sins. Sins that, especially young men, young ladies, sins that they want to be so freed from, but they seem to, to fall into it. And when they do, they, they, they hate themselves and they're sad and they think, am I lost? Am I this or that? Be very, very careful. I would suggest you get some good pastoral counsel in these matters. I cannot tell you that if you're struggling over a certain period of time with a certain sin, you're lost. But I also can't affirm that you're saved. It would have to really sit down with you. I will tell you this, that the, I, 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 I seem to see two extremes. It's the contemporary evangelical person who just thinks they're saved and I mean, they can go watch filthy movies, they can do everything and it's just alright with them. Then we have the people who have become more reformed and reading the Puritans and everything, and, and they're in misery because they look at their faith and they say, well, it's not a perfect faith. They look at their repentance and it's not pure repentance or I haven't fully repented because I fall back in the sin. And they're in bondage. They're in bondage. And, and what you have to realize is both those extremes are wrong. Am I different? That's the first question to ask yourself. Am I different? Have my desires changed? And when I do desire something that's wrong, 
Do I see it's wrong? Do I hate myself? If I fall into it, am I angry with myself? Does it hurt me? Do I want to repent? Am I struggling against it? Those are great evidences that a person has been converted, you see. But each individual case has to be handled by a discerning uh, pastor and counselor. All right, we have time for just a couple more. Um, I, I think it's a, this next question is obviously a very personal one. Uh, I, again, I don't know who asked it, but I think maybe there's even some more people in the audience who, who may even be in, in this position as well. But the question is, I am not a believer. I've tried to see the beauty of Christ, but it hasn't been possible to me to believe the gospel without any doubt. I don't have faith. What can I do? How can I push myself to grow in the faith if I am dead in my sins? Wow. Those are great questions. First of all, true faith is not the elimination or removal of all doubt. That's the first thing. Here's one of the things that, I, again, I want to say it maybe a little, with a little bit better clarity. Um, faith and repentance are both Christian virtues. Now, like all virtue, they are subject to sanctification. My repentance now, after 30-some years, is much deeper than my repentance when I was first converted. My faith now is hopefully deeper and stronger than it was when I was first converted. I see so many young people today that, that are doubting their salvation because they look at their repentance and it seems so weak compared to the Puritans they're reading, or their faith seems so flawed compared to you know, some great Christian. Be very, very careful. Be very careful. I, I, again, I see people who have assurance that shouldn't, and I see people who have lost all assurance that should have assurance. You are not saved because your repentance and faith are perfect. You're saved because the work of Christ is perfect, and you're clinging to that in your frailty and your helplessness. Now, for the person who says they want to believe, they truly want to believe, but they don't, or they are trying and they can't. Boy, that's a great question. And I would love to talk to you because I've dealt with a lot of people like this. The first thing that I would tell them is, the first thing I'd ask them is, are you lying to yourself and lying to me? Are you really, really, truly desiring to be saved? To know God? And if they tell me, yes, I... In all my frailty, yes, yes, I do. And I say, well, then you should have the greatest confidence. And they say, why? I said, well, the fact that a person is dead in their sin and a person is radically depraved, the fact that you are now desiring God and wanting to know God is evidence that God's already at work in you. And He who began a good work in you will finish it. Also, what we had in that entwined in there was some sovereign grace or Calvinistic doctrine in that. And I am, of course, Calvinistic. But people mishandle that doctrine greatly because they misunderstand it. Never, never does Scripture say to you, you're dead in your sins and therefore there's nothing you can do. It never says that. Scripture tells you, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord while He can be found. And if you find that there is a desire in you to seek Him genuinely, He's already at work in you. He's already at work in you. Just keep seeking Him. Um, Norm Wakefield, I heard him counsel someone one time and he said this. He said, young lady, it is your prerogative to seek Him. He has commanded you to seek Him. And it is your prerogative to do it. It's His prerogative when He decides to be found. But all those who do seek Him will find Him. They really will. And you can rest in that. Rest in His promise that those who seek Him find Him. And if you go on with your seeking, you will find Him. He will allow Himself to be, find, to be found by you. Press in to know the Lord. You see... We do not remove human responsibility in any shape, form, or fashion. You seek the Lord. I would tell you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and then ask the Lord to help your unbelief. 
again, if I could talk to this person, I'd really like to know what's inside, what's going on. But the thing that I told a girl one time that helped her greatly and she said led to her conversion was, I simply said, are, where you are right now, with what you can believe Him and how you can follow Him. Just with whatever you have, keep going on, keep going on, keep going on. He'll make Himself known to you. He really will. Listen, that promise is for every person on this planet. Seek Him and you'll find Him. He'll allow Himself to be found by you. In the great mystery of sovereign grace and everything, that still stands. Seek Him. Don't relent. He is gracious. He is gracious. And those who seek Him, He will in no wise cast out. Every person who wants to be saved on this planet can be saved. No one desires to be saved that can't be saved. No one. If you desire to be saved, you can be. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Trust Him. All right, well, I think we're going to have to finish there. I think that's oh, come on. <laughs> you want one more? Can you do one more? Like, no one's asked about no. aliens or the second coming or none of the good stuff. I put those ones at the back. Oh, so no, can, those are my favorite. You can go favorite. straight to the back if you want. Yeah. Uh, well, we did the essential oils ones. Um, all right, let's do one more. Uh, let's see. Who's going to be the lucky one? Now, I do promise if I don't answer your, or we don't ask your question, we do offer a full refund and you can get your question back, okay? <laughs> so um, come and get it from me if, if we didn't answer, ask your question. Okay, what are we going to finish with? Uh, okay, let's do how would you explain to a non believer the deity of Christ? who is God in flesh at the same time whilst on earth, how, how did he punish himself and who raised him? Was it, you know, was it God or did he raise himself? It's, kind of, it's a big question. You asked for another one, so that's... <laughs> well, first of all, there has to be a proper delineation of the Christian view of the Trinity. And it's not as... as it's not a difficult thing as people think. Um, you know, when... The, the fact of the matter is, is that Scripture, what it does is it lays out for us in language that we can understand something about God. Sometimes it, it informs us much. Sometimes the only thing that we can do is put limitations and say, I don't fully understand everything this is saying, but I do understand what it's not saying. And that's the way we deal with the Trinity. There is mystery in the person of God. And we would expect it to be that way, wouldn't we? Would we really think that, it would, that this would be God and that we would fully comprehend everything about Him? This is what we know. God is one. That's what the Scriptures affirm. God is one. There is one God. One God. It's not... It's, it's monotheistic. At the same time, this one God... This one essence exists in three persons. They are real and distinct persons, and yet they are one. Now, the Trinity is absolutely necessary for things like the statement. The favorite statement of everyone is God is love, right? God loves. Well, that really presents a problem, that doctrine, that God is love if there's no Trinity. Because you see, you weren't always here. This planet wasn't always here. People weren't always here. Angels weren't always here. There was a time when there was only God. Love by definition is expressed. It falls upon an object. It is selfless. And so that it is given forth to something other than self. It is communicated to others. If there is no Trinity, then we cannot say that Love is an eternal attribute of God. But since there is Trinity, that in this one God there are three persons. And when we say one God, we're talking about a Godhead is the language that, that was used by the ancients. 
that there are these three persons that are one in essence, completely and perfectly one, and yet three real persons. And they exist in a relationship that is absolutely extraordinary, and it governs everything the Bible teaches us about our own relationships. Let me give you an example. Because there's a, a trinity, we can have marriage. Because there's a trinity, we can have employment. Because there's a trinity, we can have kings. And what do I mean by that? Um, the Bible says that my wife, I'm the head of my wife. That my wife is to submit to me. Now, I hate saying that without being able to explain what it means for about an hour. Because it, it doesn't mean what a lot of people think. But people would say, well, that's demeaning for her. Well, yes, in the context of the secular view of headship and subjection, it would be demeaning. But this is in the context of the Trinity in which the Father, well, the Son set Himself under the Father and did not diminish His glory, demean Himself, and in no way did the Father, was the Father brutal or tyrannical to the Son. We see it in employment. We see it everywhere. The relationships in the Trinity help us define our own with other people. How we can be together and yet distinct. And so, if, if I was dealing with a, a person who did not know Christ and they asked me about the Trinity, I wouldn't defend it. I would proclaim it. I, I always agree with what Spurgeon says. You don't have to defend a lion. Just let him out of the cage. He'll defend himself. It's the same way with the Scriptures and the doctrines of Christianity. You don't have to defend them, just proclaim them and they will take care of themselves. Now, just real quickly, uh, for the young people here, those young people here who are not married and yet you're getting toward that age, I always want to give a little bit of instruction in that. If my son wanted to go and at, when he's 16 wanted to go and be alone with a girl somewhere I would prohibit it and if someone said to me and asked me what's the matter don't you trust your son I would say well no I don't trust my son well, why don't you trust your son because I don't trust his dad <laughs> now listen to me there's a reason why my son is with me. If my son wasn't with me, one of the staff members from Heartcry, I never go anywhere alone. I always have a testimony, a witness. I never, I'm never anywhere alone. I don't, I don't trust circumstances. I don't trust the devil. I don't trust me. Put walls up everywhere. I protect myself with wisdom. <coughs> But the beginning of that wisdom is that I know how frail all men are. Young people, sometimes you're too bold. You think you've got a lot more control than you actually do. I believe that young people should get to know each other in the church. I believe there should be interrelationships and fun and all kinds of things. But when you get to the point of taking someone seriously, romantically, as a possibility of a wife or something or a husband, I want you to learn to proceed with a great deal of caution. A great deal of caution. Young men also realize this. It doesn't matter if you tell a girl 14 times a day we're just friends. She's not going to believe you if you're calling her all the time. Be careful how you deal with hearts. Men, young men, be very careful. First of all, if you desire a young lady because you would like to spend time with her, uh, ask yourself, what is the commitment you're willing to make to her? Are you just wanting to use her to have feminine companionship or friendship without giving any commitment? Young men, do you have really have any business thinking about a relationship with a girl if you're still a boy? Um, if dad's still paying the insurance of your car, you're a boy. Boys don't play with girls. Men. Men have relationships with girls, not boys. 
You see, guys, listen to me. This is very important. You should desire uh, companionship. But companionship of a female requires that you be a man first. Okay? That means you're going to have to leave aside childish things. You young boys, even in your early teens, you need to be thinking about becoming men. Have you ever watched the movie Master and Commander? About the, the British fighting the French privateers. And when the two boats lock up, the two ships lock up in battle on the ancient seas there between England and France, the man who leads the Marines into the other boat and makes the charge is about 16 years old. The boy that's handling the helm on the boat is about 13 and he's already had his arm blown off in battle. What's the point? The point is, they were men. You live in a culture that wants to keep you as boys until you're 35. You run around with other boys. When you make money, you think about buying shoes and video games instead of saving money to put down payment on a house for a woman. You young men need to revamp the way you think. You need to think about growing into men as quickly as possible. As quickly as possible. And if you say, that's not what I want, then you need to forget the idea of having companionship with a woman. I most certainly wouldn't let you get near my daughter. I'd beat the living daylights out of you. <laughs> my whole point is, it's a trust. It's a stewardship. It's sacred, and it's also very dangerous. This is God's daughter. And so, young men, let me encourage you, don't just run with boys or you'll always be a boy. Run with your dad. If your dad won't run with you, then find some older men who will take you under your wing. Go to school if you feel like you're called to go to school. Work hard. Have some calluses on your hands. Suffer. Make your way in life. I don't care if you're, if you're 14. Start putting back money. If you work for your parents or whatever you do, start putting back money. Think about life. A friend of mine walked up to some of the girls in a church we were in, and they were godly girls, and said, well, young ladies, you, a lot of young guys here to, in our church. Have you thought about marriage? And they go, well, there's, there's nothing but boys in our church. And he said, what do you mean? He, and the girls said this to him, my friend Don. They said, these guys, when they, when they get a little money, they go buy an Xbox. We want to marry someone who can put a down payment on a house, who pays his own insurance for a car. Do you know what happens in a fallen society? Isaiah 3, guys. And you know what it says in Isaiah 3? That the young boys will rail against the older men and women will rule over them. We're seeing in the United States the master's level education, the PhD level is now being taken over by women. Women basically raise their husbands. That shouldn't be. Man up. Play the man. Be the man. Work. Serve Christ. Be serious. Be sober. Run with men so that you become men. Young ladies, the same goes for you. You want to marry someone who you think, I don't care how beautiful she is. Doesn't matter how beautiful she is, I mean, she's going to get old. <laughs> Except for my wife, if she's listening. <laughs> my whole point is this, young ladies. I married a woman who I felt could, could also raise children that had dignity, that would work, that would stand beside me, that was wise. My wife is my greatest counselor. Okay, you, you don't want to marry some girl that has no brain. She may be beautiful, but she doesn't have a brain. And she doesn't have any spirituality. And she doesn't learn. And she doesn't care about deep things. Don't marry somebody like that. Marry someone who has integrity. 
who's a strong woman. She's made herself strong. Her arms are strong. She's a woman who thinks. A woman who can help you and teach you. I know you didn't ask those questions, but I, I see our whole society and our church falling apart. My wife says that if a man, if a man-eating lion escaped from the zoo in the United States, he'd starve to death because there's no men to eat. <laughs> that was my wife says that. <laughs> Sometimes I come home from preaching and she goes, how's it gone? I said, man, they were, they were hating me. They wrote all kinds of horrible things about me. Sometimes I want to quit. And she goes, you want to quit? You just need to man up and go back out there. I told her, I said, you want me to cancel this meeting, you know, because you're going to have a baby. I mean, you're up in the mountain on this cabin and all this stuff. And we had bears break into our house three times last year. And, uh, and, I, and I said, you want me to stay at home and cancel this? She goes, what's happened to you? You're, you're talking like a wimp. Go preach the gospel. She goes, you got me into this problem. I'll get me out. <laughs> That's what kind of woman you want. <laughs> all right, God bless. All right, that's and none uh, of this goes on YouTube. No, right? no, no, <laughs> none of this. None of this. This is all strictly confidential. Uh, well, on behalf of uh, myself and also everyone here, I just want to thank you so much for your ministry. Right. And, God bless. Uh, and um, again, I know your. Uh, I'm sure your body and your mind needs a good rest, so we'll let you get out of here. It's uh, no, I'm fine. It's the fine. rest of yeah. you that need to work. Well. Uh, it'll hit you soon. I know it, it, it will. Um, so we'll we'll finish off there. It's quarter past six. So again, thank you so much, everybody, for coming out. Thank you for uh, your grace and your patience, and uh, for coming. I'm sure you've all been blessed by uh, by the ministry of Brother Paul Washer. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for just the the blessing of the Word of God. And uh, Lord, I think if we could say anything, that what we've heard today makes us feel and know that we are so small and that you are so great and um, that is just so much of what we need today thank you lord for the gospel uh, we're reminded again of so much how um, inadequate and how undeserving and unworthy we are uh, and so we are so thankful for the lord jesus christ thank you lord for the fellowship of the saints thank you lord for the gathering of your people and I pray that we would take the words of God which were spoken today and apply them to our life and become gospel-centered, gospel-living people uh, in every area of our life, uh, whatever way you've called us to. We look forward to the Lord's Day tomorrow and another time of gathering and worship and pray all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.